Good morning. It is good to be with you this morning. It is good to get to worship our great God together. I want to start by wishing everyone a happy Father's Day. It is a day that we can reflect on how blessed we are to have fathers that we can look up to, fathers that we know and love and respect. There are so many fathers here at Castleberry that I have a lot to learn from and have a lot to observe and see, so I appreciate each and every one of you. I hope you have your Bibles this morning. We'll be in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13. That's our verse for today. We'll be looking at some of its context, but that'll be the primary verse. Colossians chapter 3 is where you can have your Bibles open to today. We'll be there for the entirety of our lesson, so go ahead and camp out there. Um, I preached a lesson a couple weeks ago at the 915 worship service about confessing our sins. We were in Psalm 32, and we talked about how important that is for us, that we have our sins before God, and we tell Him what we have done wrong. And we had a section in that sermon where we talked about confessing our sins to one another. And we need to know how important that is and how, a big, how much of a big part of being a Christian it is to tell others how we need to improve and to share our desire to be pure and holy again. And this is important because sin needs to get out of our lives. It's corrosive. And it grows, it grabs hold of us and keeps us longer than we'd like to stay. It takes us farther than we'd like to go. And we learned in Psalm 32 that God wants us all to confess our sins to him because he wants to forgive us. So today we're going to look at the other side of the coin. What happens if we're on the other side? Someone needs to confess their sins to us. How do we forgive? How will we be able to approach that situation? How will we be able to be like God. So our verse today will drive our thoughts is, first, is Colossians 3 and verse 13. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. We know our need for forgiveness ourselves. We often are reminded of that. That's why we talk about confession. So today let's talk about the other side of the coin when a wrong is done to us. Forgiveness is a gift. You know, it's even in the word, forgiveness. But let's not misunderstand what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not condoning wrongdoing. Forgiveness is not excusing sin. Forgiveness instead is a conscious choice to release the person of wrongdoing as they have done towards us. And you know, forgiveness is not something we see in our world very often today. We know from Scripture and from experience that the heart of people can easily be filled with hostility. Sin makes us prone to anger, prone to resentment, prone to bitterness, prone to hate, and even in the most extreme of circumstances can lead people to be prone to murder. Sin holds us back. If there is hostility in the heart, it will eventually erupt. And this happens in our world all the time. We turn on the news and we see anger and hatred and hurt between people. We see it on social media. We see it in every generation from our youngest to our oldest that there is anger that is there. And maybe sometimes we see it in ourselves. Let's start by this morning by agreeing on one simple truth. We've got to get that angerness, bitter, bitterness, hatred out of our hearts. We've got to remove it and replace it. And one of the ways those things show themselves in our lives is an absence of forgiveness. We might think, I'm not an angry person. I I don't have that problem. I I don't get angry at others. 
that if we are holding on to these moments of hurt and not forgiving others, we're more of an angry person than we realize. So we need to get our anger out and we need to replace it with forgiveness. So let's see how we can do that in Colossians chapter 3. We're going to read the context in just a moment of verses 12 through 17. But let's see the context of the chapter before we get into our section. You'll notice the first words of verse 12 are put on then. So let's see what we need to put on beginning in chapter 3 and verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. So all of this chapter is an example, is an instruction for how we can put on Christ. Our lives have been changed and now we are doing something different. We have been raised with Christ. That means we look at the world differently. Our minds are set on the things that are above. Because we aren't just changed in our behavior outwardly, we're changed in our behavior inwardly, our hearts are changed. And that means that we have to put some things to death. And that's verses 5 through 11. The things that were part of our former life that we are no longer living in, that Christ has washed away with His blood on the cross, those are the things that we have put to death. Those are the things that we change when we put off the old man and now we are putting on Christ. So in verses 12 through 17, which we're about to read, these are the parts of our new life in Christ. It's helpful to see it in this context because it helps us contextualize forgiveness. Forgiveness is not something that is optional. I'll do it when I feel like it. I'll do it when someone meets my conditions of what they need to do in order to be forgiven. Forgiveness is simply part of what it means to have Christ as part of ourselves. Our identity in Christ causes us to forgive. And that starts by removing the sins from our lives. And then in our text, it adds the qualities that God wants for His people. Forgiveness is part of putting on Christ. So as we approach our text, we're seeing that. We're seeing what we need to do. And one of these qualities is to forgive. So let's read our text, starting in verse 12. Remember, verse 13 is our key verse, but we're going to see the context as well. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds together everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful." Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So there are three parts of our verse that we're going to look at together. We're going to see bearing with one another, forgiving each other, and then as the Lord has forgiven you. So let's see first what bearing with one another is. Is So this is the part of the verse that Paul shows us that before we even get to forgiveness, we have something that we need to do. And that is we need to bear with one another. We have to endure with one another is another way some of these versions say it. Enduring difficulty for each other. The idea is we're there for each other even before we need to forgive each other. Another word for this is forbearance. 
Forbearance is not a word we use often. Um, it's an idea of being prepared to forgive someone before that person has even wronged you. Let me see if I can give an example of forbearance. How many of you know someone who is chronically late to everything? I see some of you shifting uncomfortably in your seats like it's you, right? We, we each know someone that we just kind of expect that they're going to be late. That's something that we've come to know about them. So we have a choice when we approach that, you know, anytime we get together with them. Are we going to be angry when they arrive? We expect that they're going to do it. Or are we going to be patient with them? We kind of have to be careful to prepare our hearts so that we approach that situation with the best way we can. Forbearance helps us to take beforehand the care we need to be under control when someone is about to do us wrong. Forbearance helps us to be kind and patient to someone, even if they are the chronically late personality. Forbearance is hard to do because sometimes we anticipate our friends doing something wrong, our family members doing something wrong, and we get annoyed before they even do it. They've done it before. Why should I be patient with them again? This is something I've seen before. Why should I have to put up with this? Forbearance is hard. You know, have you ever gotten annoyed at someone before they've even wronged you, like you're ready for it to happen? Sometimes we even kind of hope that they'll do something wrong so we have the right to be angry, right? We can kind of have this justified anger. I know I've been angry without cause like that before. I've hardened my heart against others before they've even wronged me. I did not assume the best about them. Maybe sometimes this is us. The devil is always here trying to sneak in and get in the way before we can even approach forgiveness as an idea. Satan does this both when people are giving forgiveness and when people are receiving forgiveness. He likes to get right in the way and stop it in its tracks. We're often scared or angry, so we keep people at an arm's distance so they can't repent. Do you remember the story of Jacob and Esau? In Genesis chapter 32... Jacob is about to be reunited with Esau for the first time since he stole his birthright, lied to Esau, and hurt him, changed his future forever. And Jacob hears Esau's coming, and he's got some men with him. And here's what the, the text says about him. Jacob was in great fear and distress. He didn't have a hope that this was going to go well. He was not prepared for this to be a moment where he could ask for forgiveness Jacob was assuming the worst. He was afraid of what Esau might do. But Esau's reaction was not what Jacob feared it would be. Esau embraced Jacob and brought him in and they wept together. Fear and built up walls between people can keep forgiveness from happening. So we need to learn to bear with one another, to build up these relationships. You know, bearing with one another carries with it all the qualities mentioned in verse 12 compassionate, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. This is a complicated thing we're doing. We are giving others the benefit of the doubt. We are hoping the best and believing the best in others. Remember, Paul says this in the great chapter on love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love hopes all things, love believes all things. We're not a people who are cynics. The forgiving heart has no room for cynicism. It is only a place where people can think the best of each other. And that can be hard for us 
The hardest reason it is for us to be forbearing with one another is because it makes us vulnerable. It allows us to get our hopes up, to think that the person is going to exceed our expectations for them. And it makes us available to be hurt if they let us down again. It's a difficult thing that this is asking us to do, but we need to start here because we need to trust each other so that we can forgive each other. So what's Paul asking us to start here? To bear with one another. But what about when things don't go the way you hope? You have practiced perfect forbearance where you expect the best out of your brothers and sisters in Christ. You have done everything you can to prepare yourself for that situation. What if now someone actually hurts you? We know this is going to happen. None of us are perfect, and we know that putting others first before ourselves is what we should do, but we often fail because it is hard to do. So forgiveness is not an if. Forgiveness turns into often a when it needs to happen. Even the best husbands and best fathers, the best mothers and best wives have made mistakes and have had to ask for forgiveness and be forgiven. So how do we approach these moments where things have gone wrong? How do we forgive? So let's continue to look at our verse. Paul says, If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. So we have that to do. Paul says that if anyone has a complaint. That sounds like a great ideal, right? As if it's not a when there will be a complaint, but if. I like Paul's optimism there. But let's continue for a, consider for a moment what it would mean and what it would look like if forgiveness did not exist. If forgiveness was not part of our society today, what would, be, what would it be like? You know, wounds could not heal if we couldn't forgive. Uh, we imprison ourselves to past offenses sometimes. We hold on to something that someone has said against us or done to us that has hurt us in our past. And we would have a hard time letting it go. We would, every time we would see that person again or be around that situation again, it would be like pouring salt on the wound. We would never be able to heal. We would never be able to move past the most difficult moments of our lives. And it would make us bitter and angry. We cannot move forward if we cannot forgive. Secondly, vengeance would consume us as we lived, wouldn't it? We would become bitter and our hearts would become clouded by the wrongs that have been done to us and wrongs would be answered by more wrongs and things would escalate and there would never again be able to be said that punishment fit the crime because people would escalate things. Do you remember what the law of Moses taught about this? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? I remember I was teaching our uh, teenage boys that law at one point here at Castleberry and asked them, does that sound like a fair law to you? If one of your friends hits you and bruises you, you only get to hit them back once. Are you okay with me telling you you have to stop at once? And they all kind of thought about it for a second and go, no, I want to hit them at least a second time. You know, well, That limit is there to keep people from our nature, that we want to go back and we want to get more than what has happened to us. This is the way our world works. If you hurt me once, I should get to hurt you twice or three times or at least until I feel better. That's not how we need to live. Because God limited Israel through the law. That they only got to punish them according to the crime that they committed. And the scriptures carry an even higher calling than that for the people of God. Before we even get to Jesus, Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger. 
and it is his glory to overlook an offense. There is no higher and better thing that we can do than to forgive. Isn't that the opposite of our worldly wisdom today? Of all the human qualities we possess, of all the human virtues we have, there is none more godlike than forgiveness. Because forgiveness is our quality that we have that gives away all the power we have. That we are no longer trying to assert our will. We are trying to make sure things are right. That's what makes us like God. We'll talk about that more in a little bit in the third part of our lesson. But there's an expectation that forgiveness is part of the church. And Jesus makes that abundantly clear for us. Perhaps the pinnacle of calling us to be a forgiving people is in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says here, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of our Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, I don't know if I can think of a more difficult text for us to live. This text is calling us to not just forgive, but to take forgiveness to the utmost. God isn't calling us just to forgive people who are easy. He's not just calling us to forgive people who are our friends and our family members, people who we love. He's calling us to forgive even those who have intended to do us harm, even an enemy, even someone who is looking to make things worse for you. We're not able to do just the bare minimum of forgiveness and be a people of Christ. We're to go above and beyond to make sure that forgiveness is found. So why would we do this? What what is our motive for forgiveness? Colossians 3 verse 14 continues, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Forgiveness is not a duty. It's not a responsibility. It's an act of love. It is something that we do as a response to other people because we care for them. We want that relationship to be fixed. Jesus said this in John chapter 13 and verse 35. By this, all um, people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We don't forgive just because it's something we have to do. We forgive because we certainly care for the people around us, and we want that relationship to be fixed. You know, we're good at expecting forgiveness to come from others. Are we that as good as we are for that as we are expecting forgiveness to come from ourselves? How about with our kids? When our kids get into an argument or a fight, we often kind of break it up and we make them make peace right then and right there. And because kids are so innocent, they often do make peace right then and right there. Right? The, the wrong is forgotten 10 minutes later. But we make sure that we 
impart on them how important it is for that peace to be made. Do you hold yourself to that same standard? When someone has been wronged by you or someone has wronged you, do you go and try and make peace right then and right there as quickly and as perfectly as you can like you do with your kids? How about when someone has wronged you? When you're wrong, do you expect others to come straight to you and apologize right away because that's what you deserve? I require them to apologize to me. Does that go the other way? Do you go to others and apologize right away when you have wronged them or you rush to them to make sure that that relationship can be fixed? You know, we need to practice what we expect others to do for us. We need to be reaching out and being forgiving people as best as we expect others to do for us. We need to be people who forgive. But Paul doesn't just leave us to guess what we need to do for forgiveness. He doesn't leave us to make our own standard. The final part of our verse tells us what extent we have to go to in order to put on Christ in forgiveness. And that is, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Now, that's a high calling. We're going to talk about that here in a moment. But let's see what Paul has said so far in just Colossians about what God has done to forgive us. Colossians 1 and verse 13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Chapter 2 and verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses... And the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Forgive as God has forgiven you is a high calling. Think about where God has taken us from. We were in the domain of darkness. We were dead in our trespasses. We had a record of debt. And God took us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. He took us from being dead in our trespasses and He made us alive together with Him. He took our record of debt and He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. Forgiving as God has forgiven you is a high calling. So let's talk about a few ways that God shows us what forgiveness perfectly is. First, God didn't wait for us to come to Him in order for, us, for Him to offer forgiveness. We're often tempted to say that we shouldn't forgive because the person hasn't asked us for forgiveness yet. We wait until they come to us and we're free to harbor resentment until that day. Well, what did God do? He sent His Son first. He acted first in His forgiveness so that we might choose to come back to Him. God shows us that reconciliation comes from the offended, not the offender. The offended brings forth the forgiveness so that the offender may come back to Him. That's what God shows us here. So if there's someone that you need to forgive, stop waiting and go because God came first to you. Second, God doesn't have a sin that is too much for Him to forgive. God's grace is so powerful and perfect that He can extend His forgiveness to anyone. There is no sin that He can't overcome. There is no sinner that is too far gone. 
You know, we can be tempted to neglect forgiveness today like that. If someone has hurt us deeply, we can think that they don't deserve forgiveness. They haven't earned that reconciliation. I will say that that hurt is real, and forgiveness is hard. But what did God do for you? Think about how much God was hurt by sin. He had been sinned against by every one of his creation. He had been doubted and rejected by generations of people who should have loved him. And what did God do as a response to that? He sent his perfect son to die on the cross for those people who had rejected him. So we need to remember, before we want to try and write someone off, before we give up on anyone that has done us wrong, that God has forgiven much more. He has redeemed far worse, and He can redeem us. We need to remember that forgiveness requires sacrifice. Forgiveness is hard because it costs. It's emotionally difficult. We have to face something or someone that has hurt us. But what did God do? While we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. God was willing to pay the highest price so that we could be forgiven. What are you willing to pay in order that you may forgive someone? Isn't that backwards from how the world looks at it? Shouldn't the wrongdoer pay to be able to be forgiven? What did God do? He gave so that the wrongdoer could be forgiven. Maybe you need to give up your pride so that they will want to be forgiven and you can find peace with them. I think about what Paul said in Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So far as it depends on you is a hard line to draw. When have you given enough? When have you sacrificed enough to make peace with another person? When we compare that to what God has done to make peace with us, I think we can take another step more that we need to keep going and working to make that work. This is so important because our forgiveness impacts how we are forgiven. Jesus prays in the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your Father who is in heaven will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. We need to remember how important it is to forgive others. God sees who we forgive, and maybe more scary, God sees who we're harboring resentment against. Do you remember the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew chapter 18? That servant was forgiven a huge amount. He had an unpayable debt, and the master delivered him from that debt and set him free of everything that had been holding him back. So what did that servant do? He went out and found a servant that owed him a much smaller debt. And he choked him when he couldn't pay. And he threw him in jail. And here's what the master said when he found out what he had done. The master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And now you have not had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The stakes of forgiving are high. We need to be people who forgive because God has forgiven us. This is what God expects of us. 
I think we should end our last part of this before we get to our conclusion with the, the fact that we have been forgiven. It takes an entirely different tone for this lesson, doesn't it? If this is something that just is something that is required of us that we haven't experienced for ourselves, forgiveness is a bleak topic. But we can take comfort because God has not withheld His forgiveness from us. He has asked us to share in something that He has given us generously. This changes how we look at forgiveness because forgiveness goes from something that we really don't want to give to something that we get to reciprocate because of what we have been given. So if you were struggling to forgive, you need to consider the cross and what God has done for you. Forgiveness is so important. It can easily turn into something we take for granted. We forget the price of forgiveness that we have received and we forget the importance of forgiving one another. It's sad our world doesn't hold value for forgiveness like it should. Forgiveness is a sign of weakness for many. We hold on to the memory of those who have wronged us and we hope those wrongs and the memory of those things will make us strong. This just isn't what God has in mind for us. Christ's forgiveness changes how we view people and how we live. There's a man named Louis Zamperini. He was an Olympic runner back in the 1940s. Some of you might remember the book or the movie called Unbroken. It was uh, about him. He was going to be the first person to ever break the four-minute mile. He was fast, and he got to go to the Olympics. But he joined the Air Force when World War II broke out. And he was shot down in enemy territory over Japan and was kept in a prisoner of war camp during the duration of the war. And because of his status as an Olympian, he received special torture and cruel treatment, especially brutal, beyond what anyone else experienced. And when the war ended, he got to go home. He healed up, and he started to become a runner again. Now, when Hollywood made the movie about this, this is where they ended. They kind of just made it a story about overcoming difficulties and enduring. But the book has a far different, and I'll say a lot more inspiring ending. It isn't just a story of endurance and survival, because when he first comes home, he is angry particularly at the commander of the Japanese war camp. And he lived as an angry man for years after he got home. He had a drinking problem, and he kept pushing his friends and family away, keeping them at arm's length. But one day, his wife invited him to go to church with her, and he heard what Jesus Christ had done for him, and it changed something in him. It changed him entirely. And he went back to Japan, and he found everyone who had done him wrong and he personally forgave each of them. That's an illustration of what Jesus does in our lives. It changes how we see the wrongs happen to us. The power of forgiveness that comes from Jesus, the blood of Jesus, teaches us that we need to forgive. It's what we are called to be regardless of what someone has done to us. If you have someone who has wronged you, your pain is real. And I'm sorry those wrongs have happened to you. But now you have an opportunity in front of you because forgiving is a way that you can put on Christ and be like him in the way that you offer that like he gave it to you. And forgiveness is something that we all benefit from. Jesus has been so willing to forgive us that he gave himself up to die on the cross. So I hope his sacrifice will fill you with the desire to forgive. 
Bitterness has no place in the heart of a disciple of Christ. We have been forgiven of so much, then we have no other response but to forgive others like He has forgiven us. But maybe today you haven't experienced the forgiveness of Jesus in your life. This is where confession and forgiveness meet. Because you can have the forgiveness of God too. Jesus Christ died on the cross so that everyone could be forgiven. And so today, if you want to accept that forgiveness, you can do that. You can come forward during the song we're about to sing and be baptized into Jesus Christ. It begins by us confessing our sins, and then God perfectly shows us what forgiveness is. Or maybe you've already been baptized, and you're here today, and you've been struggling. You've had a trouble, and you need to get back on track. We're here to pray for you and help you in any way that we can. Please, just come forward as we stand and as we sing.